Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. passages of Scripture uh, concerning the Scriptures. And we've been talking about the subject, some words about the Word. And uh, believe it or not, just in these uh, few uh, messages that we've had and a few times we've come uh, to look at this subject, we're already on point number 10, if you can believe that. Amen. I'd probably say that's probably some of the quickest points I've ever made. Amen. But as we look here this evening, and I'm not going to uh, take the time to uh, go over the previous nine thoughts of what we've looked at uh, just for the sake of time. I don't want to keep you too long uh, this evening. But when we come here to John chapter number 12, there is much taking place within uh, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus in the timeline here. We're not too far removed from the day that Jesus is going to give his life uh, just later on the same year, most scholars believe is uh, we know that Jesus is going to give his life just a couple of chapters away from those uh, passages here in the Gospel of John. And we begin this chapter with a very familiar passage where Jesus, uh, six days before the Passover, is with, uh, is with uh, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we understand that scenario and understand that passage and what a great passage it is. And then in chapter, verse number 12 through 19, we have an account of the Lord's triumphant entry and the events that transpired there as those in Jerusalem see him come and say, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then in the remainder of the chapter, we find some conversations taking place between uh, the Lord Jesus and a couple of folks, uh, a couple of different groups of people uh, that are of note. Here in the passage that we've read this evening, we find the Lord uh, conversing with the Jewish people again, uh, in particular having a lot to say about them as a nation, but also dealing with the, the religious leaders of his day in uh, this conversation. And of course, as you study the Gospels of the Lord, you'll find out uh, that Jesus spent a lot of his time uh, dealing with the uh, dealing with uh, religion and dealing with uh, the evil effects of religion without uh, having the right kind of religion, and that is, as you and I know, a true relationship with God uh, that stems from what we call religion. Here we find in this passage of Scripture uh, that Jesus is talking about. Uh, the merits of the, the, the Jewish people receiving him as their Messiah while he is with them. He is telling them that he is now with them, that the light of the world is now present with them, but he will not always be. He says in verse 35, Jesus said to them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you, and he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light. While I'm here, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. Those Pharisees and religious leaders would probably uh, want to argue with this and say that uh, they are already children of light. They are already uh, great examples. 
attitude and religiosity and morality even. But Jesus said here that they are to believe in Him as the light that they may be children of light. In other words, they're not the children of light yet, but they can be. And here in the preceding verses we find that Jesus is continuing His discourse. And He mentions some things and <clears throat> I'm not going to take time to get into great detail about what he's saying here. But uh, look with me at verse 37 just by way of introduction this evening before uh, I make our uh, tenth application of the of this, uh, our tenth uh, approach to this study on the Word of God and move on this evening. These, I've got 34 of these, so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on each of them. Amen. Uh, but anyway, let's look here at verse number 37. The Bible says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Again, Jesus' emphasis is to get them to believe on him. To give them the truth they need that they may believe. Verse 38, the Bible said that they believed not on him. And I'm, I'm only mentioning this because I don't want this to disturb anybody in your faith. Notice what the Bible says in verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed, therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Real quickly, I want to, I want to make very that what we do not find here is the Lord choosing a group of people to send to hell. That's not what we find in these verses. We do not find that Jesus has arrested their uh, mental faculties to where they cannot believe just so His Word will be fulfilled. Some would look at this and say that that's what this is teaching, that uh, Jesus has made it impossible for them to believe so that when Isaiah said what he said, that it would come to pass. No, the reason why these things are coming to pass is because the Word of God has said what it has said, and God in foreknowledge knew what would take place in this event. The Lord is not scrambling to try to make His Word come to pass, but He already knows what's going to take place, and He has foretold what's going to take place, and now all of that is being revealed and seen before them that the Scriptures are being fulfilled before their very eyes. The Jewish people are blind in this passage. They have a hardened heart toward Him as their Messiah. They are not seeing with their spiritual eyes. They are not understanding with their heart in that they may be converted and spiritually healed by their God. That has already been seen by an omnipotent God and He is not having to try to force this to happen. He's God. He knows this was going to take place and is simply relaying to them that the Word of God has been, as verse 38 says, fulfilled in their presence. So we understand that verse. I'm not going to continue with that. I just wanted to make that very plain just in case someone was alarmed by that as we read. But here, here as Jesus continues to describe about how that there were some that would not believe, amen, I'm thankful for what the Bible says in verse 
number 42, where the Bible says, nevertheless. Now this, to me, that is absolutely mind-boggling. That as a nation, they are blind. As a nation, their hearts are hardened. They're not wanting to receive Him as their Messiah. However, despite all of that, there is still grace to be found in verse number 42. There's still mercy to be had in verse number 42. While as a nation there is blindness and hardness of heart and hatred for the Lord Jesus, there are still some that did believe. Although the majority was not believing. Here we find that among even the chief rulers also many believed on Him. Amen. They got in on what Jesus was talking about. Amen. And I'm telling you, that's one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest uh, truths, amen, that we can have in our New Testament day. Amen. I'm telling you, you hear preachers preach all the time. You've heard me mention it. You've heard other preachers mention how that I personally, as I've said, I personally believe after Acts chapter number 7, there was a major thrust of the gospel toward the Gentiles. Amen. And God, God quit dealing with Israel on a national basis after Acts chapter number 7. The Word of God bears that out. However, that does not mean that a Jew cannot get saved. Just because the focus has changed, just because an emphasis has changed, just because a, a movement of the Holy Ghost can be seen moving in different ways in the Scriptures, that does not mean that the Gospel is still not for whosoever will. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm thankful that even though in these passages of Scripture, we find, amen, and just on the telling of God dealing primarily with the nation of Israel and moving toward the Gentiles, as we know we come to the end of our Bibles looking back, there will be a day, amen, after the rapture, amen, where we'll have a time of Jacob's trouble, where the Lord will stop dealing with uh, the church, amen, as He has, and begin a major pushback to the nation of Israel. I'm so thankful that in the midst of all the changing dispensations of time and how God deals with the world. I'm glad that the heart of God has never changed and the gospel is for whosoever. Amen. Nevertheless, verse 42, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogues. And I, I, again, I'm not dealing with these things. But we see them in our text that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's a message all in itself. But notice what Jesus goes on to talk about in dealing with belief and believing not on Him. He says in verse 46, He says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. In other words, as he goes on to say in the next verse, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus did not come the first time as a judge. He came the first time as a Savior. That's what he's telling them here in this verse. However, that does not mean that there is not a day of judgment coming. Notice what verse 48 says. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. In other words, Jesus said, when I came in the world, I did not come the first time as a judge, but you didn't need him to come the first time as a judge because there is already 
one that judgeth him. Now I'll say this. I've read behind many men about this verse that said, well, they say that this one that judgeth him is man's conscience and how it's judged by his conscience. Now I will say I do believe there is judgment in our conscience. I believe that's one of the reasons why God gave us a conscience or a moral compass, if you will. Amen. I hate, I hate to say this, but amen, the conscience was meant to be a moral compass. But what our conscience does more than not is condemn our actions and tells us that we did not act in accordance to morality or biblical uh, truth. Amen. But we went contrary to that. How there is judgment, conviction, condemnation to come within a man's conscience. But I do not believe that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 48. You say, preacher, why would you say that? I believe Jesus expels, uh, uh, explains to us and divulges to us what the one thing is that judges a man. If you know there at the end that judges him, there's that colon. That's right. That colon means he's about to describe the one that judges him. Here's what he said. And how convicting this last phrase of verse 48 is. He said, the word that I have spoken. The words that he physically spoke to them. But I would say by application to us, the words that he has spoken to us. The word of God can be seen here. The same shall judge him in the last day. In other words, Jesus said, you did not need him as a sovereign God to be the judge in this day. We did not need him as our Savior to stand in the place of a judge in this day because they already had the Word of God. We already had the Scripture that is the judge of mankind. He said, the word that I have spoken shall, and the same shall judge him in the last day. Can I say this? When we talk about our relationship to the word of God, when we read what the Bible says, amen, and we understand what the Bible says when we read it and when we hear it preached and when we hear it taught, we must keep in mind that when we hear God's word, when we read God's word, we are hearing and reading and being confronted with the very thing that we will be judged by on judgment day. Let me ask you this. Considering that, how much better of a relationship with our Bible should we have? If we know we're going to have to stand before God, even as believers, amen, and look, Jesus, I bought, we're not going to thank God, we're not going to have to stand before Jesus with our sin, but we will have to stand before Jesus with our service and with our steadfastness to Him. Both camps are going to be judged by the Word of God. This Bible says, uh, this Bible says, amen, that except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This Bible says, you must be born again. This Bible says, whosoever will, amen, that all are sinners, and whosoever can be saved, and whosoever should be saved, the Word of God says that. And when a sinner stands in the great white throne judgment before the Lord, that for you don't think that God's going to remind him of what his book says, and remind him of what the rule is, Amen. To be able to get into heaven and what criteria there are. Amen. To be able to get into heaven before he looks at them and says, depart from me, you wicked, I never knew you. Before he does that, don't you think he's going to remind them of not 
just that they don't get in, but why they don't get in. It's, he's going to point them to the relationship that they that God's going to point them to the relationship that they need to have with His Son, and the Word of God is that uh, entity that tells us that that is the way that a man, woman, boy, or girl goes to be with the Lord in heaven. Amen. However, for you and I that are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to be there at the beaver seat of Christ. Amen. Every time God deals with us about the missed opportunities of service, Amen. And the and the uh, Luster Christian life we live and all the times we could have as we should have but we did not don't you think he's going to point us back amen to the word of God and show us every time we were commanded to do thus and such and chose not to do it amen the Bible says right here that the same word shall judge him in the last day I believe we see a great uh, application here to our Bibles as well now go with me to John 15 tonight. Amen. Moving on. Point number 11. Amen. Moving on. John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. Look at verse number 2 tonight. John chapter... Well, we read verse 1 just because it doesn't make sense to start in verse 2. Notice what the Bible says here. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husband of Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Look at verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. The Bible says in verse number 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I of him the same, bringeth forth much fruit, or, or for without me ye can do nothing. Can I remind you, and I'm not much of a gardener, many of you probably do much more of this, than I do. But in order for the vines to be able to produce that which that must be produced, there has to be a pruning process. There has to be a cutting away. There has to be what is described here in these verses. So in other words, what happens is, is for the vine to be truly beneficial, there must be some things that are cut away in order for them to be able to have full productivity in their existence. I believe the same exists in our Christian life. I believe for us to be uh, those uh, kind of Christians that will uh, produce more fruit and much fruit for God, there has to be parts of our lives that are cut away and that are cleansed and that are purified and that are done away with. Amen. And here we find in verse number 3 what Jesus said happens for the vine is what happens for us. Amen. He says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now I realize there's much to do within the context here that we could preach. Just remember, I'm preaching these things simply by way of a very practical application to our lives concerning our relationship with the Bible. Here he says that there must be some purging. 
There must be some cutting away, if you will. There must be some taking away of some things in verse 2 if we are to bring forth more fruit. There must be an abiding between the Christian and the Lord Christ. Amen. If we're going to produce much fruit, do you know what it takes, amen, to have an abiding relationship with Christ? It takes holiness. It takes sanctification. It takes cleanness, amen, to be able to have a close relationship with God that can be described as truly abiding in Him. He said that if we would abide in Him, we would be able in verse number 5 to bring forth much fruit. For without me, he said, you can do nothing. Here I know we can talk about abiding as our relationship with Christ in terms of salvation. But I believe we can also apply this to our sanctification. So tonight I'll remind you that, as I said, the eleventh fault is this. That when we hear God's Word, when we read God's Word, when we encounter God's Word, it purges us. And it purifies us. And it makes us more fruitful in our lives for Christ. Amen. Look with me at uh, look with me at Ephesians chapter number five. Ephesians chapter number five this evening. Ephesians chapter number five. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter number five. Look at verse twenty six. <clears throat> Well, let's back up to verse 25 for the sake of the statement that's being concluded. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives. All you ladies should say amen to that. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, why did Christ give himself for the church? Notice the Bible tells us why in verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water. Notice this by the word. How is a Christian purified? How do we get that purging that we need to produce more fruit for God and much fruit for God? It comes by the word, through the word. Here he talks about sanctification and cleansing. How do we get that sanctifying, that purifying, that cleansing that we need so that uh, Christ is able to have uh, the kind of bride that he desires? It comes by the Word of God. Now go with me to John chapter 17. Just one chapter over from where we were just a moment ago. Or two chapters over rather. John 17 and verse number 17. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify in your Bible has an, has an element of cleansing with it. But the word sanctify in the Bible also carries with it the idea of a separation. When one is sanctified, they are separated from uh, the world. They are separated uh, from the effects of the world and the defilement of the world. And with that comes cleansing. But then with sanctification also comes a, a, the idea of the cleansing itself. What does the cleansing according to the John 15 verse 1 through 4, Ephesians 5, 26, and John 17, 17, 
It is by the Word of God. It's through the Word of God. Now go with me to Psalm chapter number 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse number 9. I hope you see that there are plenty of verses in God's Word to prove this to us. All of these extra verses in, in Bible college, we, you, when we talk about, we use these to prove the point. In Bible college, we call them proof texts. These are the, the, the proof that what the, the point that we are submitting is a truly a biblical thought. Well, Psalm 119 and verse number 9, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? His way before has been defiled and dirty and wicked and rotten. The question is being supposed, how can their way be cleansed? How shall a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Look at verse number 11. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I'm in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It is God's Word that keeps us in a mental state to where we will not as easily embrace sin and sinful activity. We will have God's Word in our mind and our heart and it will produce in us a love for what we've read, a love for holiness and the things of God and a close relationship with the Lord and that abiding relationship I talked about just a few minutes ago. We hide His Word in our heart so that we will not sin against God. And by not sinning against God, as us and our relationship with Him, will enjoy a sanctification, will enjoy a separation to Christ. Amen. As that, as that branch that desires to abide in the vine, as you and I have a relationship with God's Word, it will sanctify us and separate us unto Christ and away from sin and away from the world. And you and I will enjoy a close relationship with Christ because of the holiness and cleansing that is produced in our relationship with Him. God's Word is that agent that purifies and purges us and makes us more fruitful in our lives for Christ. Can I ask you this evening, how fruitful is your relationship with God filling to you this evening? Where's the fruit? Do you see an amount of fruit and you say, I wish there was more? Is there an area in your life where you say, I wish I, my life was cleaner? I wish there was more, more purity of heart and action in my life. It could be the reason why there is an abundance of sin in your life. And you say, I wish this life was cleaner. It could be because your relationship with the Bible is not what it ought to be. Amen. You and I are sanctified by God's Word. Now go with me again to John chapter number 14. Point number 12. Mm -hmm. Amen. I'm not going to do too many more this evening. I'm, I'm, I am probably, unless the Lord just leads us back in this, I am probably going to put this message on hold for a little while. And that's one of the reasons why I want to try to make it through a few extra things this evening as I originally had planned. I was spending some time studying today and the Lord has really put me in another passage and I'm excited about it. So I Maybe putting this on hold for just a little while. So I want to get what we can get while we're here this evening. Look at John chapter 14. And look at verse number 23 and 24. Again, none of these thoughts I'm giving you this evening are complicated. They're all very practical. 
And I hope, don't look at me for just a moment tonight, I hope that these truths that I'm giving are practical enough that from the youngest person all the way to the oldest person in here, we can all find an area to apply these in our lives. They are that important. That I wanted to put the truth. Y'all know I don't mind digging deep, but I love that. And I spent some time doing that this evening. But in this series of messages, God put it on my heart talking about the Bible. To put the truth, put the cookies, if you will, on the very bottom shelf so that all of us can find help that we need. Amen. That there's one area I believe that's suffering in our churches is our love and appreciation and our true thoughts about what this book should be to us in our lives. Amen. John 14, verse number 23. This will be the last I give you this evening. I've been preaching about 35 minutes. John 14, verse number 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, talking about Judas, not Iscariot, but according to verse 22. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, notice this, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Does that not sound like that abiding relationship I talked about just a minute ago? Read verse 24. Jesus said, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. The last call I'm going to submit to your heart this evening is this. That when we hear God's Word, when we read God's Word, when we come in contact with God's Word, and we do what it says, then we have a way of showing God that we love Him. We have a way of doing more than just telling God that we love Him. But we have a way of showing God that we love Him. Let me ask you this. Consider in your mind real quickly this evening. Just briefly. I know we won't be able to put a number on it. But consider this evening for just a moment how many times in your life you have told God that you love It's probably for a Christian that's been a Christian any length of time, I would imagine that the number of times have, become, have come to a place to where they're almost innumerable. I hope you take time to tell the Lord that you love Him every day. I would at least surmise to say that every Christian should tell the Lord that they love Him every time that He allows them to open their eyes. I, I, I believe that the Lord enjoys and loves and desires for His children to tell Him that they love Him. However, we do not find Jesus giving us a command to tell him that we, that we love him. However, we find here Jesus giving us a truth. And not about telling God we love him, but showing God that we love him. And I know this is easier said than done, but the way that you and I, as born again believers, will show God that we love him is by doing what his word says. By coming in contact with the scripture and reading it or hearing it preached and just simply doing it in the action of your obedience. You are billowing out in your obedience and I love you to God. God, I love you enough to do what you said. 
You know, one of the greatest ways, and I believe that you and I, just as human beings, understand this truth. We, I believe we really do. I believe we come in contact with it every day, especially those of us that are parents. How many times have you said to your children that, you know, talking to them about obedience, that one of the best ways you can show me how much you appreciate me is just doing what I said to do. Respecting dad, respecting mom, obeying mom, obeying dad. Just do what I said. That's the best way to let me know that you love me. That's the best way to let me know that you value me. It's just doing what I said. I can't tell you how many times in ministry I've heard pastors say, especially in preachers' fellowships and messages that are preached, that the greatest way to show your pastor that you appreciate him is by showing up to church and by putting into practice what he's preached. And I add to showing up to church in there because you know there's probably not any one given church service where a preacher can't sneak in church attendance into any message. So that's just a given. But the greatest way you can show your pastor you love him is by doing what's preached. Not by what I said, but what we preach from the Word of God. The best way you, you children can show your parents that you love them is doing what they told you to do and doing it in a kind and timely and respectful manner. Amen. The best way you and I as children of God can show our Heavenly Father that we love Him is by valuing His Word enough to pay attention to what God is saying, to pay attention to what He's instructing, to what He's telling us, and then in a kind, in a kind obedient and timely manner doing what he said to do. Delayed obedience is full disobedience. It's not that, oh, I know what God said to do. I'll just do it later. No, friend, you're not being obedient at a later date. That's complete disobedience. Amen. We need to keep that in our minds. We can't, we, you, you are not just waiting for another day to be obedient. You're being disobedient today. And, and with everything that God has done for us and with as good as he's been to us, why, why in the world would you and I, as his children, that he has saved from hell and he's made sure we'll never experience one moment in the flames of hell, has given us all spiritual blessings in Christ, has given us, as one preacher said, all of this in heaven too. God has done that for us. Why would we not be looking for every opportunity not to just spend time in prayer and say, God, I love you, God, I love you. But showing him that we do. Letting God know based on how he said we can let him know that we love him. That we show him in our practice that we love him. I wonder how many times we have told the Lord that we love him. And by our practice, we've used our words and what we've said with our words has been contradicted by what we have done with our actions. And we've said, Lord, I love you. And God in his heart of hearts knows you don't love me like you should. God help us. And I'm not saying that to y'all. I'm saying that to us. God help us. Obey his word and show God that we love him. Some more words about word the next time the Lord leaves. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh,